Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. And he rules over two kingdoms now. It really is one kingdom, but in two parts, two phases. First, there is his external universal kingdom over which he rules, get this, by creation. He created it, which means he rules over it. That is, he is the king of the universe. He's the king of everything and everyone everywhere. Everything and everyone in the entire universe at all times, from their creation to their end or their eternity, is all under his absolute sovereign will and authority. Stars explode at his command. Comets impact worlds that we cannot see at his command. Why, Brother Bob? Because he commanded it. I don't know the reason why. As we used to say and tell our privates in the military, yours is not the reason why, yours is to do or die. That was it. He is the absolute sovereign over everything that we can see or not see. The space telescope, the Hubble Space Telescope, has the ability to look beyond everything that could ever be imagined. Well, that's just a natural view. That just displays the awesomeness of God's kingdom, of of the, the reign of Jesus. Glory to God. Jesus exercises supreme power over everything and everyone he's ever made, and he continues to exercise that power at all times. Since the fall of Adam, this kingdom has been, this kingdom, the natural created kingdom of which we talk, has been in rebellion against its very own king. By the way, there is a leader of that rebellion. Name Satan. The rebellion has been unsuccessful and is headed for total destruction. But in the meantime, the system run by Satan is in violent rebellion against the king. Now, I'm going to use this as an example. 
Let's go out just for the sake of imagery. We'll use the deserts of the Middle East. Pick a desert. A huge, huge desert area. Very few people live there. You could go for days without seeing anybody. And there's a war going on. And along the coastal cities where most of the populace lives, your enemy is located. Are you going to spend your time out in the vast spaces of the desert fighting nobody? Saying, I have conquered all this land, but in reality, there's only a few people who you've really conquered. You may be occupying that great space, but your influence is minuscule. If you're going to fight the war, you have to go where the people you are fighting are located. Along the coastline. And during these battles, yes, you capture some and some are killed. But the battle rages on. Because you're determined to defeat your enemy. You still want to leave troops out in the desert to occupy it. Make sure that that stays under your control. But the, the, all of your effort is focused on the populated areas that contain the people of your enemy. Correct? All right. I just gave you the devil's perspective on things. There's the vastness of space. The entire universe that is under his authority because of the fall of Adam, because Adam had been given all authority for all time, for all the expanse of everything God created. Because what God created, he looked and said, it is good, and gave it all to Adam. The devil received the authority to operate in that kingdom. And now he is here operating on this earth in rebellion against Jesus' authority because he said it was all given to me. But Jesus got it back. But now Jesus, even though he is now the one in charge because he got it all back, he received the authority, the devil's still holding on. To the the vastness of space, there's still that's still not a place you want to go without taking your space suit, your Earth suit with you, taking all the supplies you're going to need. It's still not a place you want to go to live. The battle is on Earth. The battle is where the people are. The devil wants. The souls of the people of God. He wants, you are three parts. You are a spirit living in a body. You are a spirit that is made up of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Satan wants your mind. He does that by attacking your emotions, giving you what you want, telling you you can't have other things. He's trying to conquer your mind, the thoughts of your mind. Because if he can capture your thoughts, he's got your will. 
And if your will is to look at the things he does for you or against you, and you make him your king, then you cannot be Jesus' subject. And he can claim victory over that soul. But no matter how many years you have been imprisoned by Satan, thinking Satan has you, there's one thing he cannot do to you. And that's to stop you making the decision to receive Jesus as Lord. If he could, every time a believer would walk towards the front of the auditorium to make that declaration, he'd kill him on the spot. But Satan does not have that kind of power over you. Amen? It's a battle of kingdoms. The devil's kingdom against Jesus' kingdom. Jesus has already defeated the devil. He is a defeated adversary. Then he turned around and gave us his authority to be the mop-up crew. Every time we see the devil rise up, we're supposed to slap him down. That's called the laying on of hands. Glory to God. Now, I'm not saying literally slap somebody you're praying for. But every time you lay hands on that subject, the devil feels a slap coming on. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. One day, it'll be all over with, and the curse will end. Satan and all his minions will be cast into a lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and all of the ungodly souls of people will go with them. Who's the ungodly? Everyone who has not acknowledged Jesus as king. Period. The Lord will destroy this cursed universe in an act of uncreation, a dissolution, an implosion, not an explosion, but an implosion described by Peter as the melting of all the elements with fervent heat. And in its place, he will create a new heaven and new earth. And the thing that is distinctive about heaven and the eternal state is that God is king Forever. No more rebellions, no more curse. Amen. But there is another kingdom, or another aspect of his rule that is not the external universal kingdom over which he rules by creation, but the internal personal kingdom over which he rules by recreation. That's to say in the spirit realm. He rules over the souls that belong to him eternally through salvation that he has provided through his son. This is the kingdom that the people in Jesus they could not see and they could not understand. There's no pop, no circumstance with the establishment of this kingdom, nor with its increase. And this kingdom is still growing today. Remember when I told you about Luke? Chapter 13, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said the kingdom's like a mustard seed. It started out very small, but just keeps growing and growing and expanding and expanding. That's why the present verb, the kingdom of God, is coming. And then he says immediately after that, it's like leaven. It just keeps permeating 
expanding and expanding until finally it reaches its maximum expansion when all the elect are redeemed and the Lord returns and the spiritual kingdom dominates the world and the great millennial sign of Jesus Christ. And after that, the establishment of the external kingdom, the spiritual kingdom and the material kingdom, the newly created material kingdoms are one forever. Amen. That's kingdom theology. Spiritual kingdom will grow to its fullest point where it's not going to expand any farther. And that's the consummation. And the glorious reign of Christ returning to earth that we call the millennium. When the expansion of the gospel reaches the point where it cannot get one more person born into the kingdom of God because there's so much back push against it. When the kingdom of God on this earth will no longer expand, Jesus will say, that's it. And time's over as we know it. And that time has already started. Go back to verse 20. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs you can observe. The one that is now in motion or in the process of happening is not observable. Verse 21, he then adds, nor will they say, look, he's over here. Or look, there it is. It's not something you can identify as an event. The Greek phrase here, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, literally is, you can't see it. You cannot see it. It's not with observation. It's not involving a public spectacle of any kind whatsoever. It is completely, 100% invisible right now. Back in the 11th chapter of Luke, this is so amazing. He was casting out a demon in verse 14, and the demon that made a man unable to speak. He was dumb. The demon went out, and the dumb man spoke. Multitudes marveled. Sure, hey, that was kind of cool. But then some of them said, he cast out Dezen by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They were, in the military, we would say they were 180 degrees off. Amen. But this is amazing. They had just seen a shocking, inexplainable miracle. And then they say, to test him, they were demanding of him a sign from heaven. What in the world did they need? They needed what they thought was something consistent with the prophecies of Joel and all the other prophets. A healing of a man, a delivering of a man from a demon. That just didn't fit what they were looking for. And we can, to a degree, understand that attitude because that expectation had been generated by reading the Old Testament. So all of those miracles, while they demonstrate the deity of Jesus, unmistakably, while they were intended to demonstrate the compassion and sympathy of God for the people, and when today we heal in Jesus' name, we lay hands on someone and they are miraculously healed, that people still call you a charlatan. They still call you a false prophet. They don't believe. Despite the miracle that took place, they do not believe. That's why God chose to prove the deity of his son through the relieving of people's pain and suffering. 
That's why he still does it today. He thus was displaying himself as a God of great mercy. But it never convinced the people then, and it still doesn't today, that Jesus is the king. Later in the same 11th chapter, as the crowds were increasing more and more, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. For you seek for a sign, and I'm not giving you any sign except the sign of Jonah. Jesus was sending them back to the Old Testament. And he talked about his resurrection. Even that didn't convince them. So the kingdom's coming. It's coming now in a present tense. It's here, it's here, and it's still coming. It's growing. It's expanding like that leaven. It's still coming and still coming every moment when someone else has been added to the kingdom by accepting salvation in Jesus' name. The kingdom expands a bit more, but you can't see it. It's not visible. Remember our Lord's example of the leaven? You can't see it work, but you can see the dough continually expanding until it finishes expanding. It won't expand one iota more. And that is the point the baker puts it into the oven to make the bread. You can't say it's there. Or you can't say it's here. It's not an event that you can point to. It's an externally invisible thing. That's indicated by the fact that these religious leaders were looking right at the king. The king grew up right in front of them, and they couldn't see the king or the kingdom. Amen? In verse 21, he says this, If you want to know the nature of the kingdom, well, look, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, some of you have a Bible that says, in your midst. Translators bouncing back and forth between those two. The original Greek text uses a Greek word, entos, which has a little preposition, en, which means in. Entos means inside. That's what it literally means. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. That's in Matthew 23, 36, where Jesus said regarding the Pharisees, they cleaned the inside of the cup. It means inside. If our Lord wanted to say it's in your midst or among you, he would have used most likely an miso, which is a different Greek phrase. But that is the phrase that is regularly to mean in your midst. And there are a number of illustrations of that, but one simple one is in the second chapter of Luke, verse 46, where it talks about Jesus being found at the age of 12 in the temple, in the midst of the teachers. It uses that phrase, en miso. That's why I like to compare Greek to your to the, the Bible explanation. I am not a Greek scholar. I, I just like studying these things out. Because the Greek language was very explicit and exact. Not like English, especially modern English. Can you imagine what it'll be like translating English grammar we use today in, say, a thousand years, should the Lord tarry? You know, things like, man, that is a bad car. Or, man, that was really cool. Think about how confusing it would be a thousand years from now to see that as a phrase. And people say, it's a bad car. Why was it bad? I thought... It was good. Cool. The The heater didn't work. Why would they say that? And they will have to have uh, uh, translators 
translating from modern day English into whatever language there happened that day. Amen. So think about how confusing it must have been for the translators to translate from Aramaic or Hebrew into Greek, then into Latin, and then into Elizabethan English, and now into modern English. So you see the problem there, right? They say, why don't they just translate it within you if there's no disputed original text? The reasoning most commentators give for not translating it within you is the fact that it might take it might apply to the Pharisees. He would say to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within you. But that easily resolved if you understand that the you is generic. And you also understand that even though directing his comments at the Pharisees, the crowd is always a mixed crowd. Remember? We've been telling you at the end of his life, particularly chapter 15 and following, there is a constant interaction between Pharisees and the disciples and Jesus. What he says to the Pharisees, the disciples are there. What he says to the disciples, the Pharisees were there. There's always there in the Pharisees, they're going to make sure that they're in every crowd because they are looking for something that Jesus will say that they can use to have him killed. And the next verse says, and he said to the disciples, the you here is generic. All all it means is the kingdom is inside, not outside. Internal, not external. It's not visible. It's not manifested in the way you expect it to be manifested. You know, it's sad, really, when you think about those self-appointed religious experts missing the whole thing. They had waited, along with Joseph Arimathea, for the king and the coming kingdom. And the king and the kingdom came. But because they were not born again, they could not see it. They were still looking from their perspective of the kingdom. But it couldn't happen. If that kingdom came, nobody would be able to enter it. Because until the kingdom is within you, until you are part of the internal, personal, invisible kingdom of God, you can never, ever experience the external kingdom when it arrives. If you don't have the kingdom within you, you will never be in the kingdom. It's as simple as that. Jesus said, it's in you. It's set up in your hearts. It's for all of you in whom the king lives. As in Romans 14, chapter 14, verse 17, the apostle Paul said, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's an internal thing. It's the righteousness that you have in the eyes of God because of Jesus. It's the internal peace you have because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's joy in your spirit because there's joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's all internal to you. It's righteousness in the heart imputed by faith in Christ Jesus. It's peace with God. It's the joy of God. All of that as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is within you because the king himself is living within you. And he reigns and rules within you. There's no other way to view Jesus Christ other than as king. When you say you believe in the lordship of Christ, you're just saying we know he's king. And that means he's in charge, absolutely in charge. I love what Jesus said. He said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit to be within you. 
But he also said this, as we talked about last time, I will come to you, and my Father will come to you, and we will make our abode in you. And that's why the wonder of wonders is this, that the Trinity has taken up residence in the hearts of those who embrace Christ. Amen? That's the kingdom for right now. That's right now in place of the future, the coming millennial kingdom described clearly both in the Old Testament and in the 20th chapter of Revelation. That is simply the final consummation when the spiritual kingdom is finally unveiled and all those who are righteous enter into the kingdom and all the ungodly are destroyed. This spiritual kingdom then became the message of the apostles. That's what they preached. If you want to see that, as we're getting ready to close, if you want to see that, just briefly turn over and look at Acts chapter 1. Go with Jesus to the training ground, a little bit of his disciples. He's got 40 days. 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. 40 days before he leaves. You might know how he used those 40 days. Acts 1 verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive. That is to his apostles after his suffering death. By many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. There it is again. Running out any blanks in their kingdom theology. The message of the gospel is, Jesus is king, bow to him. Jesus is king, you want to follow him. And then you deny yourself, you give everything to your king, you take up your cross, you follow him. He is the absolute sovereign over your life. That is what the gospel is offering. It's not offering Jesus to be your buddy like you see in so many churches today. It's not, you know, hey, you could have Jesus as your pal. Jesus is the guy who wants to come along and make you feel good about yourself. No, Jesus is your king. Respect him as your king. He's also your brother, and you can come to him as brother and brother and talk to him. But never forget, you know, when I was in the military, oh, Lord, we're already out of time. When I was in the military, there's a saying, you know, because your commander, we go to the colonel's house for Christmas dinner or something like that. You know, he'd call you, hey, Bob, how you doing? You didn't say, hey, John, great, how are you? No, you always called him sir or colonel. And the saying was concerning the familiarity, concerning rank, that these, the chiefs, the senior officers would never think about rank but the subordinates would never forget it. That same thing can apply here. Jesus, yes, can be your friend, but never forget he is king. Amen? If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, then you need to pray this right now. Pray this out loud. Pray this with all of your heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you this day, and I repent of all my sins, And I thank you, Lord, that I accept Jesus as my Savior. Come into my heart, create in me that new man, one that loves God and loves you. Be blessed, folks, in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher, 
Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's FTFM.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.